0: Hello, my visionary friends. Thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing evolutionary solutions to today's unique challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour will be exploring personal awakening for collective transformation. We are indeed living in unprecedented times. In the throes of pandemic, social upheaval, and racial unrest, there's much inflammatory rhetoric and finger-pointing. At the same time, there is talk of finding a gentler, kinder way of treating each other and living upon the earth. What better opportunity for total transformation than when everything is up for grabs? Historically, we've tried to change things from the inside, make laws, control the masses, win wars. But true and lasting change can only come from inside each of us. How can we awaken to our personal potential? Can we transform the world by transforming ourselves? Where do we even start? Most importantly, can we do it in time? With us this hour to explore this personal awakening and collective transformation is Michael Saparo. Michael is a clinical psychologist, Dharma teacher, writer, meditation researcher, and former Buddhist monk. He's on the faculty at Echelon Institute and a fellow at the Institute of Notic Sciences and is compiling a study on time travel, hope, and love with Dr. Julia Mossberg of the Institute for Love and Time. Dr. Sapiro teaches nationally on the art and science of transformation, expanded human capa- capabilities, and future making for personal and community growth. His website, com. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on Mission
1: Evolution. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Um, let's start out with your educational background.
1: Okay. Should I just list it? It's an interesting mix. I have a bachelor's and master's in English, specifically in both creative writing. And then my master's was focused on social justice and feminist pedagogy. And uh, then I did a lot of kind of community and social development work and went back to get another master's and a doctorate in clinical psychology.
0: That's quite the repertoire. What from there? Whatever drew you
1: to uh, be interested
0: in human transformation?
1: I think I've always been interested. Coming from a family that uh, suffered greatly in World War II, and watching my family kind of work through their own suffering um, toward thriving, inspired me to dive more into. Um, Human psychology and which for me naturally leads to human thriving human development. And so I spent a lot of time early on in my life thinking about how people suffer. And so throughout my life, even throughout my education, I focused my own learning and growth on what would it take to develop ourselves and then our communities so that we're we all have um, an equal chance at thriving.
0: I like the way that you started that with ourselves and then our communities. Would you go into why that order?
1: Yeah, a lot of us want to help what so many of us feel compelled to serve, other human beings, other uh, the planet, animals, what I often see happening though we do it at the expense of our own well-being and it's like um, giving out water from a bucket until there's none left and our bodies are dying of thirst and so it's really important to recognize that our body brain mind complex needs the same or more support first so that we can give from the excess of energy that we have to others and i'll i'll just stop there but i do want to make a point most people often mm, fi- say they feel selfish taking care of themselves first and not uh, and not others but that's that's actually a detrimental uh, framework because it it takes away from what we need first
0: well you've been speaking of altruistic people what about the ones that are so totally narcissistic that the thought of of aiding someone else is is just beyond their comprehension what kind of inner work can help there
1: i truly believe most human beings are empathic compassionate and able to see suffering in others feel it and then want to do something about it i think true narcissism exists in a, in, a, in in those people who have been really deeply wounded from a young age and created a personality that's extremely defensive And um, I've only and I've worked in the field a long time and I've only had a few truly narcissistic people. I think um, those folks really have to do the inner work of healing from their initial trauma, learning that they they matter and that they're important narcissism is a defense against feeling worthless or feeling very low self-esteem about uh about ourselves so and honestly most of us have we're on that spectrum in some way not necessarily narcissism but not feeling worthwhile and so it's the same work everybody has to do which is going inward and finding that kind of radiant goodness which lives within all of us and that's sometimes hard to remember or see
0: and then So from the track that we're speaking here, it sounds like all of us really have some inner work to do to make sure our motivations are coming from, instead of compensatory, trying to make ourselves worthwhile to true
1: service. Is that correct? I believe that's true. So even as a clinical psychologist, I do very little work, you know, kind of conceptualizing people based on diagnoses. Most of my work is helping People remember their own worth and value. And, and the inner work is kind of going back to a place that was pre-traumatized. And that might be very early because so many of us have kind of childhood traumas that have shaped the way we think of ourselves, others in the world. So all of us have inner work to do um, to clean the kind of various inner lenses that we have. Like if think of us as a diamond with many faces, many facets and each of those facets are kind of not clear, not clean, because they're wounded or or we have a conceptualization of the world that's not clean. So the inner work is really cleaning those kind of facets of the diamond so the inner source gets to radiate out much more cleanly and transparently. So the light's only as clear as the window through which it shines is one of my favorites. That's what I'm talking about. And there's so so many filters and lenses put on by culture and society and school and um, that kind of change the lens, the color of the lens. And our job is to to see that is what's happening and, and clean that up with compassion, loving kindness, healing trauma, things like that. So the light comes through a much more clean uh, lens.
0: There's a lot of talk right now about genetics, epigenetics, and how some of this is passed down through our lineage. Um, have you looked into that, or what's your what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I've actually studied that pretty extensively. I've published on the intergenerational transmission of trauma for Holocaust survivors. Yeah. Um, so I'm well aware. I, I studied it during my doctoral program. I was trying to understand why do I have nightmares? I grew up fairly safe in Chicago, and yet I had pretty extensive nightmares that didn't seem to be my own. And so I was wondering why do my cousin, my sister and myself have these kinds of nightmares when we grew up relatively safe? And so then I started looking at, well, what would be passed down? And there's there's a lot of data on epigenetics. Before epigenetics actually blew up, it became a thing. Uh, There was studies of rats um, looking at passing down particular behavioral traits down the generations. And then we see that now we know conclusively that um, experience unlocks uh, potential, uh, unpotentiated kind of, uh, what do we call it? What we used to call junk DNA. Now, actually, we see they turn on and off and experience turns them on and off. So our grandparents' experience turned on components in dna that then travel down through the generation so it would make sense that i have ptsd kind of like responses in my own my own um, body and brain that were passed down from my my grandparents through my mom to me
0: and so this being clearly a huge thing in our day day and age because there's been a lot passed down what can we as individuals do to mitigate it it's
1: a good question And so this is where I bring up the concept of karma in the sense that some things are passed down. I think karma is epigenetics, actually. When I look at what does karma mean, we have our own personality, our own temperament that chooses things in real time. Like Mike likes certain things that are Mike's own. It's not my grandma, not my mom, not my dad, but Mike has certain traits and characteristics that are really my own that I have to work on. That's my own karma. That's my own present moment, real time work to do. Um, and then I have things and behaviors and traits and ways of being and thinking that is passed down. That's like, oh, that's my dad talking through me. That's my mom. Or that's my grandmother worrying about things through me that. I don't need to own. So it becomes a matter of differentiating between what is my grandparents, mother, father's thinking and ways of being, and what is my own. If it's my grandparents, if it's my mother's, I don't need to respond to that. It's like a wave that just kind of goes beyond, it goes in front of you. You don't have to catch it. You don't have to be, be caught up in it, let it pass by. That's not mine. And that's one work to do is catching it, going, hey, that's my mom talking through me. I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to say that. I don't need to play that kind of thinking out in the world. But if it's my own, I need to recognize this is Mike's stuff. So I slow down and do the work that it takes to, to mitigate my own behaviors and to make those changes. So it's a lot about differentiating what's happening within us and then choosing the appropriate skillful response to kind of uh, move forward and change that behavior or that thinking pattern.
0: I understand that if you do that enough, you start to rewire um, your neurological pathways to where it's not such an issue for you anymore. Am I mistaken?
1: No, and that's, that's the hope of, that's what evolution is. Literally the ability to adapt and adjust and make changes that will be sustained. So for everybody listening, there is actual hope that the more consistent you are in your practice, whatever practice that may be, that the more sustained change you will make for yourself. And these are small pivots. I am an advocate for making small changes, not huge changes. Huge changes might feel good in the moment, go, I did it, I'm different. But the truth is we're not wired to to, to change like that. It's good to see that you can make a big change, but you have to do small, little changes incrementally to really make a significant difference. That doesn't mean you can't have a one-time shift in perception and then forever be different. It just means you really want to do those kind of daily practices that reinforce the long-term change. So, yeah, there are ways of being which... neuroplasticity is what we would call in in brain science, the ability for our brains to create new neural pathways so that these changes are um, sustained over time.
0: Uh, We're just about out of time for this segment, but you spoke of um, practice. What do you mean by practice?
1: Well, let's say you want to pick up an instrument. You know, you're not going to join a band the first day you pick up an instrument and go, I'm ready to perform. You're going to You're going to want to be dedicated to a daily practice of of learning theory, of learning the scales, of preparing your fingers to do more and more complicated kind of rhythm and melody making. And so a spiritual practice is no different, a psychological practice is no different. Let's say it's being self-aware. Every day will build up, what am I aware of today, thoughts, behaviors, sensations, images. Uh, it could well, be a, it, oh, it yeah. is
0: that It is that magic moment it's time okay. for a commercial break <laughs> Michael and I will return shortly so you don't go away this is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network www.xedbn.net and the Exxon TV Channel www.exxonetvchannel.com Hello again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful audience, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about how personal transformation can impact the whole? This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled, Medical Intuition Meets Modern Medicine. T.L. shares, As a mother, I've experienced a knowing about my child's illness that eventually panned out, though the doctor said it was something different altogether. I'm so glad to hear studies are being done to validate medical intuition. Hopefully, it'll also validate mother's intuition. Thanks for your input, TL. Mother's intuition is indeed a powerful force that needs to be better recognized. Imagine if we could also be trained to use it more effectively. Curious, dear audience, visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled Medical Intuition Meets Modern Medicine, and let us know what you think. Email me at info at and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. With this hour, discussing personal awakening and collective transformation is Michael Sapero. His website, Sapero. Dot com, Michael, we were just um, working with how we personally can change our history um, as far as the things that we're subject to. And um, it's so often I see, I'm sure we all do, a person will say, oh, that was because my dad did such and such, or my dad was such and such, or my mom was this and that. And that's fine, recognizing it is one thing, but then resigning ourselves to it seems to be the next step. Uh, what's your take on that one?
1: What do you mean by resigning to it? I didn't, uh, can you explain that?
0: Sure. Um, it's like I hear people say, and I've been guilty myself, well, I'm this way because my mother was that way. End mm-hmm. of story. End of story. Oh, that's my excuse gotcha. and
1: I'm sticking mm-hmm. to it, yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that, there's, there's a real vulnerability of looking at ourselves closely um, because we become responsible for what we're seeing. And so there's a kind of safety that happens when we're like, well, this happened to me as a kid and that shaped the way I think and feel and behave. And that's that's the end of story because I don't actually wanna dive into the pain of that because it's really it can be really painful to look back and see the experiences that shape us could be traumatic. And we, we could have been taught something about ourselves that's really painful to admit. So there's some of that. And so not doing anything about it keeps us in a kind of safe, and I'm quoting here, a uh, safe kind of homeostasis. But the truth is it doesn't lead us to thriving to do that. So I would say once we start seeing those things, like, yeah, I was treated this way or or I was given these messages, then what do we want to do? We want to tend to our pain. And the tending to our pain is actually evolutionary. We become the love we've been seeking all along. When we learn to have self-compassion and self-love and actually practicing that, meaning moving love inward toward ourselves and being the kind of tendering, nurturing presence we were always wanting to have. That's an evolution in our growth where we're the ones giving ourselves the love we so desperately need. And that's where it's really uncomfortable for people to do that. So that's, that's where I think a leveling up happens in our evolution. And when we do that toward ourselves, we can genuinely start radiating that love outward in our communities uh, in the world.
0: Isn't that love something we hook into rather than generate for ourselves or for others? Isn't it feeling worthy enough to hook into universal love and then allowing that to move through us?
1: I think we have to be vulnerable to actually experience universal love. It's always present. It's always there. We have to remember it and feel it. And so many people are guarded and defensive against actually feeling the love that's present Because it came with so many conditions growing up, we think we have to earn it or we don't deserve it. And the truth is, it's always present and here for us. So tapping into it takes vulnerability and a willingness and courage because it goes against so many of our conditions that we're not worthy or we have to earn it.
0: Let's talk about pain a little bit. That's a lovely topic. Okay. How, much, how much is the transmutation
1: of our pain the key to evolution and that, that we wouldn't have if we didn't have pain in the first place? Totally, and, and my patients really don't like that I say that because they, they want to be able to thrive and con- contribute without having to dive into the pain because it's painful enough to feel pain. And then what I'm saying is actually the gateway to love The gateway to thriving is through your pain and so many people get disappointed they're like no don't I have enough of it already but being with your pain you learn how to access love because love is the medicine which gets you through pain vulnerability and love gets you through pain which strengthen you give you resiliency tenacity and it's the love you've always been seeking but you can't avoid pain because then you're avoiding the love that comes as the remedy I remember,
0: as most women do, being in childbirth and being able to embrace the love of my husband at the time, Mm. uh, the love for my child, and what my body was doing, even though it was very intense. It wasn't destroying anything. It was building something. So there was a Mm. real reframing that went on there that walked me through home births, a couple of them, Mm. without that much of a problem. How can we apply that mindset to
1: our emotional pain that we're all faced with today? It's about shifting from a threat to a challenge response. If we see something as a threat, we tend to shut down or we mobilize to fight and get away. And so when we see pain as a threat, we then, we're then then faced with cortisol responses, adrenal responses, our body tends to tighten up, blood flow goes away from the brain into the limbs so you could get away. When we look at pain or any circumstance as a challenge, as a growth opportunity, then we can see the thing um, as a way of a stepping stone to our growth and evolution and transformation. So what we want to do is start looking at, at experiences as opportunities for growth. And it might be a challenge, uh, might be a challenging situation. It doesn't mean it's easier or, or wanted. But you have to move out of threat response and go to challenge response. And that once you start changing that perception, then you can see all your experiences as growth oriented, even when they're unpleasant.
0: So it sounds like when you were talking about the, the physical physiological response to pain when you're seeing it as the enemy, it sounds like it makes it worse because everything tightens up, blood flow lessens. Uh, there's no yielding, there's no uh, give at all doesn't that make pain actually
1: worse a hundred percent your cells uh respond to what you're thinking if you see something as a threat the your, your own cells in the body will respond as if there is an actual threat even when there isn't many of us have been threatened in real time but it but our bodies continue to react as if we're always in threat and then you have more inflammation in your body your immune system is down your endocrine system doesn't work the way it should, and your recovery time is a lot longer. So when you start shifting out of threat mode and you see instead a challenge of growth, your body does something different. It actually provides you energy to handle a challenge that you can overcome with strength. You have quicker recovery time, your cells are healthier and live longer. This This is all really bona fide data Um, You can look up uh, from the telomere effect, Alyssa Apple's work out of UCSF, really beautiful work on just shifting your mindset actually changes your body's response. And you can have a much healthier body with a healthier mindset.
0: Speaking of mindset, when you're in that fight or flight pain response, you're in the back brain. And it's my understanding from the back brain, you don't have access to love, uh, spirituality, altruistic things. You're just in, you know, fight or flight, How can a
1: person make that shift in the middle of the trauma? It's by doing it all the other times. Well, first of all, during a trauma, your your body needs to do what it does to protect yourself, to keep yourself safe, whether that's running away, fighting, or actually freezing and assessing. What I teach is really how to prepare yourself for challenging circumstances throughout your life. So you have to practice them when you're not being faced with challenge. Because it's really hard to bring up these new skills, these kind of evolutionary skills, while you're being threatened if you haven't practiced them, which is why the folks in the military have so much training to prepare them to be in battle, to, to be able to function at a high level while being an incredible threat. And that's why athletes train so hard for a race. You're not just doing it on the race day, you're training up to the race day so your body naturally responds the way you want it to at a high level under high stress. So my suggestion is learn these practices that help you evolve and awaken. you're um, in your daily life. So when you're faced with challenge, you actually respond that way more naturally.
0: And once again the practices consist of what are some of our options?
1: Sure. So we have we have deep breathing practices which help regulate your nervous system deep Uh, throat or belly breathing we have grounding practices through the feet like dancing trance dance um, and earth forest bathing things like this we have drumming and dancing we have prayer contemplative prayer we have working with shaman teachers or your spiritual teachers Uh, practices practices can look like whatever your heart wants it to but you got to be consistent with them every day so that you're you're building your tool.
0: So when that moment of trauma does come, you have something to draw on that you've burnt the neurological
1: pathways already. Exactly. So when I, I've been doing grounding practices for quite a while, putting energy through my feet into the earth, pulling up strength from the earth into my heart, back down from the heart through my feet. I've been doing this daily to get strength from beyond me. And I faced somebody on a trail who had really traumatized me last year actually and because I've been doing these practices I was able to really stabilize and ground myself through deep uh, through my grounding practice and soothe my nervous system through deep breathing so I could face a person who had kind of hurt me but in real time engage the practices I was doing on a normal basis and it made me a lot stronger more empowered and more boundary than I ever had been in a real-time situation that I needed it. So let's back up just a little bit. We're in quite a
0: interesting time in the in the history of in our history, as far as our age group mm. goes, uh, where we're dealing with a pandemic. We're dealing with all sorts of social unrest. Uh, people get, going off the he's, I call it. It's like they're not mm. being logical, they're not being rational. How much of this has to do with people being in the back brain and not having the tools they need to function?
1: I don't think we're set up as a culture or society to monitor our mental health and our emotional health. I think what we're doing now in our culture with mindfulness and the influx of like yogic traditions into our medical systems and even teaching kids mindfulness in schools is a a good shift toward getting to know ourselves a lot more. We live in our cognitive mind um, and in our fear mind and our fear bodies. And so what we're doing is trying to correct that the medical system is shifting, the psychological system is shifting, but we're not starting off on a good foot of like knowing ourselves. So what we're seeing is a lot of people freaked out and rightfully so. There's a lot of stuff happening where we should be cautious and and a little on guard. We don't know what's going on. But we're living in in, a, in our fear bodies, and we're not even aware that we're living that way. So what I'm trying to help people do, do is get a real felt sense of their bodies, which are always giving messages and signals how we're doing so that we can correct and respond in a skillful way so that we're not living in fear and we're not reactive.
0: We have just a little bit of time left in this segment, but tell us a little more about a fear body. Some of us have heard of it, and some of us haven't.
1: What is a fear body? Well, that's what I call the body that kind of lives in a tight, restricted, constricted. I wake up with fear sometimes. I, I have PTSD myself, so I'll notice I wake up and already I'm in dread. I'm afraid of what's coming. That's not every day, but that certainly happens to me. And so throughout the day, I check in with myself. Am I tight? Am I constrictive? Am I having fantasies of, of that are fear-based, loss? And so it's really checking in with yourself. And the fear body tells you it's tight, it's afraid. And then we, it, when we see it, we can learn to regulate that. Great. Well,
0: it is that time again. Time for another quick pause. Michael and I will return shortly to our discussion, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, ww.xbn.net, and the Exxon TV channel, www.exxonTVchannel.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge, information-packed past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. To find out more about me, Gwilda Weyeka, and the other things I offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. Our guest this hour is Michael Shapiro. We're speaking about awakening, evolution, and transformation. His website, michaelshapiro.com. Michael, let's change um, gears just a little bit. We've been talking about personal transformation and how we can kind of get a handle on this living out of fear versus living in acceptance and love. How can personal transformation
1: impact the whole? How do we take it from there out into the world? It's by first understanding the interdependent nature of reality that we are all dependent on each other for our well-being. Just as good food comes from the soil quality, the nutrients, sunlight and water, our, our bodies and our well-being really depends on everything else going on in the world. So when we know this, it's important that we take care of ourselves. And it becomes important that we take care of others, the planet, the earth, animals, other people. The more we awaken to the true independent nature of all things, the more we see without a doubt we're all responsible for each other's well being. And so it's hard not to step into service, it's hard not to then take care of our communities. Um, and that starts with ourselves first, but that radiates outward.
0: What does it look like if we try to skip the self part and just go into service?
1: Burnout. It looks like having no resources for ourselves. resentment can come up for those we serve because we think they're taking from us rather than recognizing we're giving too much. Um, our own bodies can shut down. It looks like a lot of different things. Like we depersonalize the people we're serving. We call them by their diagnosis or disorders. They yeah, that you know, that person instead of the human being with this thing going on, we, we stop seeing them with humanity. So there's a lot of um, detrimental outcomes of not serving ourselves. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's go a little bit into diagnosis. That's it, it, it seems like a, a rabbit hole that we've gone down in that we take this list of symptoms, pigeonhole it, and then that person is identified by that and they identify with
1: it. What's the downside of that? It's very lim- it's very limiting. It doesn't see the whole picture. And I'm really interested in the big picture of things. So I, I, diagnosing can be important for understanding there's a certain set of like symptoms that kind of point to a way of being that, and everything has a medicine. And I mean, not just like medicine that doctors give you, but heartfelt medicine. So if a person is depressed, mm-hmm. Then there are there are outside medications, but there's inside medications, energy and enthusiasm and creativity. These are medicines that address. But I, I don't tend to st- stay a lot of time in diagnosing because I want big picture, and big picture is where we start seeing our place in the world, and it's it's a where we start seeing where we can contribute to the well being of our community and to the world too.
0: I my uh original teacher was Lakota, and he always said, if there's someone sick in the family, the entire family is sick, but also the entire tribe is sick, and all of it needs to be treated. Is this
1: the sort of thing you're talking about? Absolutely. Uh, we have individual bodies that need to be tended, but our individual bodies are actually a part of larger bodies, and we're not separated just because we have skin. The skin is porous. Our Our brain housing our skull is porous it's with something called the biofield which connects all of us all living beings are connected through electromagnetic waves through energy distribution between all beings we can't there's really no individual even though we feel individualized so when we know that the whole tribe is sick when one person is sick
0: it's it's um, kind of the state of the world right now isn't it
1: Mm. It seems that way, but, you know, looking back through history, I don't know of a time that it wasn't this way.
0: Do you feel that we have a better opportunity now than any time in history to change that, to evolve beyond that?
1: I don't don't know, actually. I have hope that the future can unfold in a way the more of us are conscious, we create a future that's conscious. I believe in what we call future-making that we can um, envision a world that that has equality, that is just, that we distribute resources more evenly. And, And because I can see that, I can step into it in my body now in the present. So I do believe that's possible. I believe our technology and our spiritual practices and science all combined together create a pathway to a world that is transformed. But enough of us have to buy into that to make those shifts happen.
0: I couldn't help but notice um, that there's a lot of very young people coming up with amazing inventions and the like, like a 12-year-old that found a way to remove plastic from the ocean that's actually quite viable. Do you think that we're living in a time when we're going to see more of these young people that have these gifts uh, to contribute and are more altruistic?
1: I I would hope so. I think what we want to do is live in a time where we're creating space for young people to shine their gifts, to be brilliant, to show their genius, whatever that looks like. I I think children always have access to the unlimited potential and unlimited gifts of the mystery. I think we want to be a culture and a society that gives space for them to come out and show us what's inside of them and really what's possible
0: that you mentioned the mystery. And don't we systematically lose our ability to access the mystery as we get chiseled away by our own damage?
1: Yeah, that's the defenses we put around us because we're hurt and we're scared of what's unknown and the mystery is all unknown. That's what a mystery is. So the more work we do on transforming ourselves, the the more direct experience of the mystery we have and the more comfortable we become in the unknown and then we give more space for it all to unfold more naturally without us controlling it so much out of fear.
0: So what is our uh, propensity to control out of fear in us? What impact is that having on our perceived reality?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. I can't help going to the shootings of black people by police, to be honest with you. And not to drop down, but it's just a reality. And when a culture has been institutionalized to see a group of people as threatening, then the people who have power uh, respond with control. And that looks and feels extremely oppressive. And it's dangerous. And so that's what it looks like when we haven't learned to regulate our own fear. It looks like coming out like control and aggression, and so that's a direct cause of living and, and living in a society that creates more fear rather than creates um, a, a society that is more open to love, understanding, forgiveness, listening, justice, things like this.
0: And it's it's like it's a um, diminishing returns because the more fear we live in, the more fear we create, and pretty soon the people around us are impacted by it. As we've seen, how can we turn that around? What's the first
1: step each individual can take? Regulating themselves first. It's like being on an airplane. You have to put you, when an emergency, put your own mask on, then give it to others. We have to be really aware of how we're living and the choices we're making, and how that how those choices impact others and the world around us. Again, it's personal awakening for the sake of collective transformation, and so we want to be sure where we're acting from is a place of calm, equanimity, a place of thoughtfulness, of skillful thinking. And then we can move forward into making sure others are doing the same work as well. We can only, we're only in control of ourselves first. And then maybe when enough of us are awakened and calm, we can have a a lot of um, influence on institutions that then will change their policies so that we're we're at a much more equal footing.
0: One of the things I've noticed lately as I go through my process and the people around me go through theirs is um, there'll be a set of facts. They'll be laid out before me and there'll be this knee-jerk reaction in interpreting those facts. However, if I stop, take that deep breath and look at it again, I realize, no, I'm mistaken. These are just the facts. This isn't the proper conclusion to be drawn from these facts. What is? Would you speak to to that kind of transformation and how that can change the way the world is operating right now.
1: Can you, can you speak a little more just about what, what you mean about facts first interpretation? I think that's really interesting. I'd like to hear your perspective on that. Well, every day we're all
0: faced with facts, but and mm-hmm. facts might be facts, but our interpretation of them is totally different, depending upon whether we're in the back brain or the front brain, or right. whether we're a person that believes in, in fear and are all tightened down around our experience, or if we're in flow and we can look at it fairly neutrally. It seems right now that the our reality is up for grabs because we can have these facts and everybody interprets them differently. That's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, the difference yeah. between interpretation mm-hmm. and, and facts. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I I think that's probably true of all human history, that our our perception of reality is based on the conditions that we've been grown up in. And so we were in, it's like fish swimming in water. And so when I lived in Asia, in Thailand, the perception of reality and of time was so different than the perception of time in New York and Chicago, where I kind of spent a lot of time growing up. And I believed my version. So when I went to Thailand, I got really upset with Thai people about why don't you, this is totally not reality. You guys are skewed. It's it's not accurate. And I would be upset until it literally took me two years to realize I was projecting my perception of reality onto a whole country, thinking that I was going to do some changing of that whole country to be more like New York and Chicago time. And it, it, it shattered my my glass bell around me, shattered and I saw how my own reality was created by my, the conditions of my upbringing. And that, along with the Buddhist practice, really helped me soften my stance and be more curious. So curiosity is what I teach. Can you be curious and not take anything personal right now? And just get information because the universe is so vast. Instead of shutting it down because you don't understand it or agree with it, can you be curious and take Take like, it's like more puzzle pieces to your idea of the universe. Just be curious and a little bit more like less personalized. Okay. And then you get more pieces of the puzzle and your understanding of life. uh, It grows tremendously. So
0: you're, let me reframe this for us. You're saying that if we use curiosity versus locking down on a judgment, that we can get more facts upon which to base our reality.
1: Yes, we just don't know enough. None of us know enough. I don't know enough. There's no way to know all uh, everything we need to know to make really good skillful decisions. So we want to get a lot more information and curiosity is the doorway into it, where you're kind of foregoing your ego's defenses like I know it or I don't want to know anything else. And you're like, hold on, let's calm down. And what am I missing? What can I learn here? I'm curious and I'm willing to learn. The,
0: we're about out of time in this okay. segment, but the world is shrinking as there's more and more people and more cultures coming together. And there's a lot of cultural clashes going on as a result because there's these set mindsets of the way things should be, just like you discussed. How can we accommodate, and what are the advantages of accommodating a totally different mindset as far as timing, say, for instance, goes?
1: If you're wanting to experience more of the vast mystery, then be willing to hear and learn things that are out of your safe comfort zone as long as you're actually physically safe and it's not harming you then slowing down and being receptive to what you're offered and having some surrender we can have a vastly different experience of our own self not alone other cultures and other people is again being willing to learn and be curious for the sake of learning more about the universe as it's unfolding in your own present life.
0: So that embracing the mystery, embracing curiosity, and that's taught in traditions that are ancient, is one of the keys. Fascinating. Well, we're going to have to pick up on the other side of this commercial break. Michael and I will be back shortly to continue this discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission of Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xadvn.net, and the Exxon TV Channel, www.exontvchannel.com. Welcome back this is mission evolution bringing together gifted people of service to the world i love to hear from our audience your thoughts are very important to me to suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest email us at info at to find out more about me guilda my school and the other things we offer visit www.findyourpathhome.com this hour we're speaking we're sharing thoughts with michael saparo his website, michaelsapero.com. Michael, let's talk a little bit more about time. Um, in your materials, you made mention of studying time. What's going on there?
1: Hi, yeah, I work along with uh, scientist Dr. Julia Mossbridge, and this is really her brainchild. She studies human beings and their relationship to time. She also studies time travel and artificial intelligence, so uh, amazing, brilliant, heartfelt person and we got a an ama- she got an amazing grant to study hope unconditional love and time travel and what it really is about is helping us have a robust healthy relationship to ourselves in all directions in the past and in the future so we learn how to love on ourselves In the past, we go back in time and we love on ourself through difficult circumstances. And we use that model to create a relationship with our future self that looks back from the future toward us and guides us to a future that's uh, full of health and wisdom and well-being.
0: So it sounds like you have to embrace the fact that time is not in order to do that.
1: Yes, time is not in order to do that. That's correct. And I mean, there's so many... So many theories on time not existing the way we think anyway. And when you use mental time travel, you can do it in the present moment, seated here in the present, grounded in the present, and yet expand your mental sense of time in all directions, actually back through the lineages of your family and also in the future of humanity. We have access to all of that unfolding at all the time.
0: Well, that goes right back into your speaking about karma actually being
1: the epigenetic change, doesn't it? It does, because that's what's rippling through what we think is time. But it's it's interesting because it's happening in the present moment. Whatever happened to our family way back in the past is still continuing in the very present moment through our own behaviors, our thoughts. And it will ripple into the future unless we do some healing work around it. But the future is also rippling back to us right now. That's what we're finding. The future is sending information back to the present. And we have to expand our conception of time as well as our intuition, as well as our um, felt sense of it coming back. And that takes sensitivity to pick up information from the future. The future
0: is subjective, yes, yes.
1: Uh, what do you mean by that? Like,
0: um, in other words, mm-hmm. we have we have we can change by changing what we're doing. We can change what what the outcome is in the future.
1: Yes, we have some some impact on what happens in the future from right now. Absolutely, the way you change your mind or behaviors right now will influence what comes in the future. And the future is already happening. So, which version of the future do you want to have a relationship with?
0: It's mind boggling when you get into it.
1: It is. It is. Once you start having an experience of it, it becomes because you you might you might already picture yourself what you're eating for dinner. That future self could look back at you and go, oh, here's what you're eating for dinner. But what happens when you start seeing the future self who's vibrant and uh, wiser and stronger and she looks back at you and says, hey, these are the things you do to get to this position. Then it becomes concrete then it has a real tangible set felt sense of that's the future I'd like to live into, and that future is already speaking to me. It's already happening.
0: There's a study, you could probably tell, tell, tell me the name of the gentleman that did it, but it was a scientifically, mathematically proving that um, the, the future, uh, 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 causality is equal parts past and future, but it only happens in the present. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're talking about.
1: That is exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, as far as I know, that's because what do I really know? I just have my experience and some good data and colleagues who are brilliant. Um, so from my perspective and my experience, it does work that way. That's right. I'm being as influenced by my future as I have from my past, all here in the present moment.
0: And that's an ancient concept as well, isn't it? It
1: is. It its It stretches in a lot of in a lot of um, spiritual traditions, like the longhouse. It's called. um, There's there's a lot of Native Indigenous traditions. The long body, it's called, where you have the past and the future all wrapped up in the present moment, unfolded, and a lot of non-dual traditions have no time and space, and so everything exists and unfolds in the present. All past and future at the same moment and it takes us expanding our awareness to have a direct relationship not a theoretical one but a direct relationship with timelessness
0: and is the um, pathway to that outcome personal work and evolution on the inside first
1: of Yes, for me, it's of course, we sit grounded in the present moment, our bodies are the grounding rods between Earth and the cosmos, the Earth and the heavens. And we ground here in the present, but then expand our sense of awareness in all directions, physically in the space, and then over time. And then we are local, we're sitting local in a very non-local, non-dualistic experience of the universe, where everything's accessible right now.
0: How do you think the world, let's say will, let's say will, how do you think the world will change as more and more of us are able to access that way of being?
1: We, If the more of us do this grounding work in the present and expanding our sense of timelessness, we can take all of the resiliency and tenacity and strength of our ancestors with us as we create a future, as we co-create a future together, that has that resiliency and strength and empowerment built into it. And so we're, we're really moving into a future with love, compassion, strength, wisdom. That's how the future will be different.
0: I, I love the way you say the, the tenacity and the gifts of our ancestors, because heretofore we've been talking about, oh, epigenetics, and we've got all this damage from our ancestral history. Let's not throw out the baby with the
1: bathwater, right? Yeah, my family survived Auschwitz. I I, want to take that strength. And I want to use it when I'm faced with challenge and hardship. Uh, Not to compare like, well, this isn't as bad as that. But to be like, my grandmother faced something I didn't even I don't know if I could face. So I want to use her strength to move into the future with. And all of us, all of our ancestors have, have survived t- tremendous tragedy and trauma for us to be alive right now facing a future that's unknown. So let's take that strength. Let's take their gifts and move it into the future.
0: So this is actually um, transmuting karma, isn't it?
1: That's right. Exactly. Is that part of future making for you? that is a part of it on a personal level and on a, and on an in, in like a collective level as well we have a lot of hurts in this in our in our country in america with the way we treated native americans and and the the slaves we brought in and how we, we you know used chinese to build railroads how we interned japanese there's a lot of pain here that we can actually trans uh transmit not transmit we can transform into Uh, something very positive but we have to do it at a collective level we have to do it individually for ourselves and use that model to do it on a collective level to help heal and transform our greater community and the world community to be one that is just um fair uh, helpful loving where we like contribute to each other's well-being instead of take away from it
0: so it sounds to me like the um the trauma, the pain, the, all of our sins, if you will, that have been perpetrated mm-hmm. on others, can, uh, is actually the
1: gift if it's transmuted. If we don't look at it that way, it's just awful, awfulness, and it hurts us, and we're down in shame, we're down in grief, which there's a part of us we have to do that work to. But if we're not using those awful things to help us become better then we're just stuck in the awfulness of it all. And that's not productive, healthy, or skillful for any of us to dwell in that. We have to learn and grow so that we, don't have, a fu- we have a future that doesn't have those things built into it anymore.
0: Well, the, the saying, you know, denial isn't a river in Egypt. Um, doesn't that pain <laughs> throw us into denial and basically cripple us from transmuting
1: the, the pain? And that's where I go back to the very beginning where vulnerability is the place to be vulnerability, willingness to do the work for ourselves will naturally help us do it on the collective level where we can finally sit with the pain, the collective pain of the traumas that have happened so that we then can evolve into a species which never does those things again or catches it as they're happening and going, hold on, absolutely not. And enough of us go, absolutely not. Here's what we're doing instead. Here's how we're going to face this dilemma. Instead of the way we were going to, here's how we're going to do it instead. So we have to have the personal transformation to know how to do it on a collective level.
0: It's almost like the cells in the body, isn't it? If some of them are cancerous, they need to be transformed in one way or another, or the body's not going to be healthy, regardless of how many healthy cells
1: are in it. That's right. And so we're transforming. We're not getting rid of or killing that part of us. We're actually transforming it. And that transformation carries power, doesn't it? It carries the essence of love through, which then radiates to everything we do, every relationship, even those strangers we meet. When we've done the work, that love that we've gotten, we've touched again, will come out in our relationships to everybody.
0: So, Michael, what is your mission?
1: I want to help people awaken to the fact that they're just precious every human being is precious and from that place we are worthwhile we belong we have a right to be here and that we're important just because we're alive and knowing that we can then help others come to the same realization of their own preciousness And we're gonna spend more time encouraging and supporting each other rather than defending and cutting each other down. So yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Beautiful mission. So uh, what do you have to say to um, Mission Evolution's worldwide audience? What's our first step to get to where your vision is?
1: Just know that you matter and everything you've been through, even if it's terrible and hard, um, I don't know what purpose it has for you, but that's the material from which you can grow and transform and become the, the version of yourself you're longing to be, and that you have innate gifts inside of you that are longing to be expressed. And so don't, don't take a lot of time to get to them. Become the painter, artist, poet, lover, musician, cook you've always wanted to be. Start right now, because the world is waiting on you to awaken those gifts, because Our world will be better the more of us who are using those gifts that are innate in us.
0: So you believe that we are all
1: innately gifted? Absolutely, in our own ways, in our own ways, each one of us. We might not be Michael Jordans or Freddie Mercury's on the stage, but we all have something unique that's longing to come out of us and wants to be expressed. And that's all valid, equally important for our evolution as a species. Each piece is equally important and part of the whole. Yes. Each piece is equally important for the evolution of humanity. Everybody matters and everything inside everybody matters that wants to be expressed in a healthy way is what gets us to our next evolution as a species.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Michael. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I could go on and mm-hmm. on and on. I think we both could. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much, and it was really lovely to be with you and have these deep conversations. Thanks for doing the work in the world you're doing.
0: And you. Our guest this hour has been Michael Sapiro. Michael is a clinical psychologist who teaches nationally on the art and science of transformation, expanded human capabilities, and future-making for personal and community growth. His website, michaelsapero.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Gilda Wiecka, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net and the Exxon TV Channel, www.exonTVChannel.com. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world.